Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. Today I'm going to endeavor to cover John chapter 11 verses 1 through 27. Actually, verses 1 through 44 covers the whole topic of Jesus raising Lazarus, but I don't have enough time in one audio to do the whole thing, so I'm going to divide Jesus raising Lazarus up into part A into part B. Part A will cover verses 1 through 27. Now our context is this, in our previous chapter, John chapter 10, Jesus was at the Feast of Dedication in the winter, the last Feast of Dedication before he was killed, and he said, I and the Father one, the Jews, the Jewish leaders tried to stone him, he melted out with the crowd and got out of there, and then he proceeded to go on his Perean ministry, which is the, the ministry across, across the Jordan where the Pharisees couldn't get him, which is the ministry he did in the few months before he went back to Jerusalem during Passion Week and got killed and resurrected. Now, after he left the Feast of Dedication and he goes into the Perean ministry, John tells us nothing of that Perean ministry, leaves it up to Luke, because Luke's got a ton of stuff that is covered, and not in the other synoptics either, just in Luke, which John doesn't cover until we get up to the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11 here. What did, Luke, what did John skip? Well, he skipped Jesus' teaching about the last shall be first. He skipped the teaching where Jesus told the Pharisees their house was going to be left desolate. That's referring to AD 70 when the Jewish kingdom was destroyed. The parable of the Great Supper is skipped. Jesus' great teaching on the cost of discipleship is skipped. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, those parables are skipped. This is all during the Perean ministry. And then there was the parable of the unjust steward, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and the parable of the unprofitable servant. That was all skipped. So all that stuff has gone on until we get here to John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So let's start with verse 1. John 11, verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the famous siblings here of Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Be- Lazarus, Bethany was two miles, John tells us that actually, two miles from Jerusalem. It's east of Jerusalem, probably on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, actually, is where the little village was. Now, the story of Lazarus is mentioned only in chapters 11 and 12. In fact, Lazarus himself, the name is never brought up again, except in these two chapters of John, according to the NIV Study Bible. And the timing of this story is somewhere between Jesus' last feast of dedication, which is in John chapter 10, and the last Passover when Jesus was killed. Well, that's obvious. So, the story, uh, Mary and her sister Martha, of course, have become famous because of the story in Luke chapter 10. Let me read that to you real quick. Verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village. They, the disciples, were traveling. He, entered, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed into her home. The village, of course, was Bethany. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you were worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary listening to Jesus, namely. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Of course, that story is told over and over again as an application to say that we don't need to let the worries and cares of life get in the way of sitting at Jesus' feet. And the story, unfortunately, is told at Martha's expense. So she doesn't have the best reputation in the world, but you know she's remembered for the wrong thing. We're going to point out later that actually Martha had a lot of faith. She was a good woman. In fact, said Jesus loved her. We go to verse 2 in John 11. Mary was the one who anointed 
the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. Now John's trying to identify this Mary for us in addition to saying she was Mary of Bethany. And unfortunately, and this is because the Jews had this horrible habit of not giving last names to people, and it, and it creates all kinds of confusions and opportunities for Ph.D. students in New Testament studies. Anyway, there's a big debate over was this the same woman who anointed Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee? That woman was called a sinful woman. Or is this a different event from when she anointed the woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee? In other words, were there two anointings by a woman who anointed anointed Jesus? Or there's only one anointing? Well... Let me show you the let me give you the verse for the other anointing in Luke seven verse thirty seven. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil. Now that was that that was the house of Simon the Pharisee. In Matthew twenty six, or I'm assuming it is, Matthew twenty six, six through thirteen, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, this is Simon the leper now, not Simon the Pharisee. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, a man who had a serious skin disease, that's the way the Holman Christian Study Bible translates it. The King James has Simon the leper, easy to remember his name. So Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. A woman approached him, an unnamed woman, unfortunately, approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And the story goes on. So the question is, is... What happened when? Well, it doesn't really make any difference, too much difference in my opinion, but here's two options. First of all, the first option is that the anointing was at Simon the Pharisees. The anointing which took place at Simon the Pharisees in Luke 7:37 is different than the anointing that took place at Simon the leper's house in Bethany. The woman at Simon the Pharisees, she's unnamed, unfortunately, and she's called a sinner, the woman at Simon the leper's house in Bethany is unnamed. Also, in Matthew 26, the verse I, verses I just read, she's probably Mary of Bethany because Simon the leper lived in Bethany. So you can tie the two together because they lived in the same neighborhood. But you see how questionable all this is. Or it could be that there was only one anointing done. Mary of Bethany did them both at Bethany because Simon the Pharisee and Simon the leper were the same person. People say, no, that can't be. How could a leper be having a dinner party? Well, the leper could have been healed of his leprosy. And on and on and on and on, the scholars argue. I've got a good article for defense of the position that there was only one anointing. I put it in my notes. I'm not going to give it to you on audio. You can look this up on the Internet. This is standard biblical harmony stuff. John Gill says that there are two different women. And, in fact, I think most people... If I had to guess, most people think there were two different instances, and that's the way I'm going to take it. It's just easier. All right, so this is not to be confused on my assumptions, this anointing of Jesus with the anointing that took place in the house of Simon the Pharisee earlier. Now, notice this is a previous anointing. This did not happen around the time of Lazarus' death. It says, Mary was the one who anointed in the past the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet. And this event had become so well known that John just refers to it. And of course, everybody's going to know because it was a famous incident how he anointed Jesus with oil and wiped his feet with her hair. That's how she's identified because her act of kindness to the Lord had become well known, legendary maybe, famous. Now there's one other problem about this anointing. In John chapter 12, verse 3, in the next chapter, it says this, Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, 
that's uh, perfume, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his face with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Well, now we have the anointing taking place later in John 12, John 11, verse 2. John says, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil. It's out of time order. The answer to this is very simple. John is just speaking proleptically. He's speaking uh, about what happened in the future. He's telling the story, and then he just kind of breaks off from the story and says, oh, by the way, this Mary, I want to identify her. She was the one who anointed the Lord later when they were in Bethany. After Lazarus had been raised from the dead, she was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet. All right, so that takes care of that problem. Let's now go to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 11. So the sisters, that's Mary and Martha, sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. First of all, notice that Mary and Martha identify Lazarus as the one that you, Jesus, love. Jesus had a close friend, and we tend to forget that. Jesus was human. He needed friends like everybody needs close friends. The relationship must have been especially close, as the NIV Study Bible states, and I don't doubt it. If I remember correctly, this is where it says Jesus wept when he saw Lazarus in the tomb. They were close. Jesus spent a lot of time at Bethany. You know, that's that was his hangout. Even right up in the up to the last week of his death, he would go into Jerusalem and go back to Bethany in, in the evening to stay away from the persecuting Jews. So he he knew Lazarus well. And, and Mary and Martha identified him as the one you love. They didn't say Lazarus is sick. They said, yeah, he's the one you love. And I guess what they're saying is, hey, you love him, so get on over here. Quit doing whatever you're doing, as important as it might be, but as it might be. But here's somebody that you especially love, so you need to come take care of him now. I'm sure that was that was the implied message in the note that they sent or in the message that they sent. Now, Jesus answered, uh, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. Death never ends up glorifying God. Death is antithetical to God, who is life and light, and Jesus is life. Death is the opposite of that. Death will not win. Death will not conquer. And that is all through the Gospels, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. You're not going to die. And so Jesus tells them, hey, don't worry. Lazarus isn't going to die. He's, he's speaking, he's hinting of what he's going to do. He's going to raise him from the dead. Now, of course, the messengers probably thought, oh, well, he's saying that Lazarus is sick, but he's not going to die. Jesus is saying Lazarus is sick. He is going to die, and I'm going to resurrect him again. It's for the glory of God. All miracles are for the glory of God to magnify his marvelous name. This is similar to the time when Jesus healed in John 9, the man born blind from birth when he rubbed his eye spit into some mud and rubbed the mud on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the disciples said, before that happened, the disciples said, uh, what caused this man to die, uh, to, to get blind? Some sin must be, you know. And Jesus said, no, it's because that God's works might be displayed in him. So Jesus looked at blindness and death, two horrible things. He looked at them and he did not look at them with an attitude of defeat. He said, hey, this bad stuff is all for God's glory because it's going to show God's victory over it. And boy, at, I'm 68 years old or so. When I forgot how old I am. 67 maybe. And all I hear about is people dying and people sick with these horrible diseases that, that no doctor can cure. And it's just terrible. It's absolutely, I've had friends die. So I like this attitude that Jesus had. Ah, uh, death's not going to win. God's going to be glorified. 
Now, of course, it might be the glorification comes at the end of the world when the body is resurrected. But nonetheless, whenever it happens, God's going to get the glory. Now, notice here that Jesus already knew that Lazarus had died. The messengers didn't know it. Mary and Martha didn't know it when they sent the messages out. But Jesus did. He knew that Jesus had already died, as the NIV study Bible says, because in verse 14, which we're going to get to in a minute, Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died, told his disciples. So Lazarus must have died shortly after the messengers left Bethany to find Jesus. Where was Jesus, by the way? He was somewhere in Perea, in that Transjordan area, east of the Jordan, ministering the gospel and spreading the kingdom. The NIV Study Bible speculates this, that Lazarus must have died shortly after the messengers left. Now, why did Mary and Martha send messengers? Why didn't they go themselves? Well, they were women. It's tough to travel alone, as John Gill points out. And Jesus was at some distance somewhere in Perea, so they sent messengers. Now, going along with the idea of which I just finished saying, when that Mary and Martha were saying, the one you love is sick, so maybe you ought to get here, notice they didn't ask Jesus to come. They just took it for granted. As Adam Clark says, apparently the assumption was that Jesus would immediately come because he loves Lazarus and he loves Mary and Martha, and of course he's going to come. So Mary and Martha didn't ask. But unfortunately for Mary and Martha, Jesus didn't come. He waited two days. Verses 5 and 6 of John 11. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loved them all three. He was close to them. Again, he's got a right to have friends. He's a human being. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. The NIV study Bible points out that Jesus moved as the Father directed him, not as friends wanted. You recall at the wedding feast at Cana when his mother said, Hey, we're out of wine, we're out of wine, hinting very strongly that she wanted her supernatural son to make some more wine. And Jesus said, Hey, what if I? What has that concern got to do with me? In John 2, verses 3 and 4, What's that got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So he didn't just let people tell him what to do, when to do. And this is something that every good Christian ought to know. How many times have you had people say, You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. No, you need to be doing what your father told you to do. And everybody else can just please shut up. Why did he do this, by the way? Why did he wait? Mary and Martha are just expecting him to come and heal their brother. And doggone, he just lollygags for two days. Why did he do that? John Gill says it was to test and improve the faith of Mary and Martha. And I believe that's what I believe Gill's right. And by doing this, by waiting till he died and then raising him again, that would show, again, more glory to God and more love to Mary and Martha. Okay, I think that's that's the answer. Now, let's do an application point here. How many times, let me give you a, a, a picture, if you will, of what I always tell people about trials. Every Christian gets into trials. And having been through uh, numerous ones myself, I, one time in the midst of one of those trials, was had a picture of myself hanging over a rope, hanging onto a rope, which was suspended over a canyon, the bottom of which I could not see. It was so far down, but if I fell off that rope, of course, I was going to die. And I'm up on the rope a little bit, and I start sliding. I say, God, Jesus, please help me. I'm sliding down this rope, and if I, get, if I fall off this rope, I'm going to die. No answer. Slide some more. Slide some more. God, please help me. Please help me. Jesus, please, where are you? Keep sliding. Keep sliding. Finally, one of my hands goes off the end of the rope, and I'm hanging on by one hand now. Jesus, help me. I'm about to fall. I'm about to die. Hand keeps slipping. Gets halfway off the end of the rope, and pretty soon I'm hanging onto the end of the rope with the end pinched between my thumb and my forefinger. I'm hanging on my two fingers, and I'm saying, God, Jesus, help me. I'm about to die. And then Jesus comes and delivers me from the rope. That's the way God does it. I mean, you know, 
That's the way it is. If you're a Christian, you will be tested in your faith, and you better believe, and it can be pretty hairy while you're waiting for him to answer. Faith, and this, here's a def, good definition of faith. Faith is the period of time that comes between your importunate prayer and God's deliverance and God's answer to that prayer. Faith is the time in between where you don't see him. You had to have faith you wanted to follow Jesus because he didn't act like a genie in the bottle just come doing whatever somebody wanted to do. Say, hey, I'll do it, bang. He, he forced faith. He forced you to believe in him because things didn't always happen the way that you would prefer. And this is the same thing that happened to Mary and Martha. He was, having, he was testing their faith. By the way, when it says that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in verse 5, this, of course, refers to his human love from the aspect of his human personality. He loved everybody equally from the aspect of his div divine nature. I said human personality. I should have said his human nature. Oops, a little heresy there. Sorry. He loved all people equally from the aspect of his divine nature, but from his human nature, he loved those three especially. John 11, verses 7 through 10. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Why? Because that's where Lazarus lived in Judea, the countryside around Jerusalem. Rabbi, verse 8, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again. Now, what had happened just now, that was referring to John chapter 10, which we covered in the last audio, when the Jews tried to stone Jesus, when he said, I and the Father are one. That was at the Feast of Dedication. That had just happened, I don't know when, a couple months or so, we don't know, but it happened shortly before. The Jews just tried to stone you, and you're going there again. And already Jesus had left Judea for the very reason of avoiding the Pharisees. And the disciples are puzzled. Why would you want to go back there again? They're going to kill you. Verse 9, aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. In other words, what Jesus was referring to was the time that he has to minister. He says, i got 12 hours. I want to minister. And if anybody wants to minister with me, he's not going to stumble because he's going to see the light of this world, i.e. me, Jesus. I think that's what he meant by that phrase, which is a little bit cryptic. And then he says in verse 10, if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He's, he's referring to the time when Jesus will be captured and killed. John 9, 4. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is referring back to that same metaphor. Hey, it's night, it's daytime, let's work. You can see light. You can see what we're doing. You can see me. So let's work. We've got 12 hours. i got an interesting cultural note here. It has nothing to do with the passage, but I thought I'd mention it. That 12 hours, this is from Adam Clark. He says the Jews divided the day into 12 equal hours. And if the day got shorter, the hours got shorter. If the day got longer, the hours got longer. I thought that was very clever. Clever way of doing time. Now, just to summarize the main idea of these verses here in verses 7 through 10 of John 11, the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again. They were certain that it would be a certain death if they went back to Jerusalem, they were going to die, as Jameson Fawcett Brown said. In fact, in three verses from now, a few verses from now, John 11:16, when Thomas called twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. When Jesus finally talked them into going, they said, okay, we're going, but we're going to die. John 11, 11 through 14, he, Jesus, said this, and then he, Jesus, told them, the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. 
So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Well, first of all, think about this. Why would the disciples think it was natural sleep? Jesus is going to go way out of his way to wake somebody up from sleeping? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I think it just shows how spiritually obtuse they are. He was talking about death, and they're thinking about sleeping. Or maybe they're just trying to look for an excuse not to go back because they don't want to get killed. Because, I mean, it doesn't make any sense for Jesus to say, say for Jesus to be talking about sleep, and then Jesus saying, i got to go wake him up. I mean, anybody, you're going to wake up naturally. He was obviously talking about dying, especially when you consider that was the common cultural way of saying dying back then. It was a euphemism that was commonly used. You fall asleep when you die. So Jesus quit beating around the bush and he finally said, look, Lazarus has died. Now notice when Jesus said Lazarus has died, he has no way of knowing this except because he's God, because nobody, the messengers didn't know it when they came to speak to Jesus. So he had to know that from his divine nature. Now, not only were the disciples scared about going back into Jerusalem, which might have colored their interpretation of sleep being natural sleep, despite the fact that it was absurd to think so, it might be that the idea of awaking somebody from the dead was something that was not so natural that it was, it was off, off their radar scope. They couldn't think about that. So they had two reasons why they might have thought Jesus was t speaking naturally here about natural sleep. One, they didn't want to go to Jerusalem. So let's just let that Lazarus wake up on his own. Or two, what do you mean wake him up from being dead? You don't wake people up from being dead. Now, on the other hand, the disciples had seen the resurrection of the widow at Nain. The, 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 sons, the widow of Nain's son, they had seen that. So it was not like resurrection from the dead was totally unheard of by them. But at any rate, Jesus had to finally tell them, look, guys, we're going back. Lazarus is dead. John 11, verses 15 through 16. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. This is Jesus talking. I'm glad for you. I'm glad for you disciples that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Again, the waiting two days, letting Lazarus die, that didn't bother Jesus. It just gives Jesus a chance to develop their faith more. And by golly, they're going to need it when the persecution's coming, when the Jewish authorities come after them after Jesus dies. But let's go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas called twin. Thomas Didymus, Thomas called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. Now, everybody remembers Doubting Thomas. The worst aspect of his career, of course, has been put into the English language as an idiom. Don't be a doubting Thomas. But we forget, we forget his dedication and devotion. He was willing to die with Jesus. You remember the Doubting Thomas incident in John 20, verse 25. So the other disciples kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. The NIV Study Bible makes this point about us remembering Thomas for his doubting, but we don't forget, but we forget his courage and devotion, especially when you compare Thomas to, the, all, to what the other disciples did. Matthew 26, 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Well, I suppose that was Thomas too. But, but at any rate, you know, Thomas, he loved the Lord and he was willing to die for the Lord at one time. Now, some people say that Thomas's tone was complaining here, sarcastic kind of. Then Thomas said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go so that we may die with him. In other words, he's crazy enough to go down here. Well, we're going to die too. In other words, and, and the idea being, you really want to go down there and die with him? I don't. That's Adam Clark's idea. I don't think so. Well, actually, Adam Clark suggested, but he doesn't really believe it. He says this was really a statement of love and devotion. Let's go down to die with him in Jerusalem. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown agrees with that 
sentiment, and I do too. So let's go to John. By the way, Thomas called twin. The H Holman Christian Study Bible has twin. Some versions just translate it straight and say Didymus, which is Greek for twin. Thomas Didymus or Thomas the twin. He must have had a ten twin brother. John 11, verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, where's the four days come from? The message from Mary and Martha, probably Lazarus died on that day, day one. Jesus delayed for two days, that's two and day two and three. And then Jesus returns to Bethany the next day, which is on day four. That, of course, is debatable. That's just a speculation, but that's reasonable, I think. Now, the four days is of interest because the Jews believe that the soul hovered around the corpse for three days and then left. So four days, that soul's gone bye-bye, gone off into Hades, gone off into the afterlife. And so there's no point in raising somebody whose soul is gone. And most Jews would think that way. Now, the NIV Study Bible points out this, what I just said, and also the fact that John mentioned four days was for a matter of proof. Jesus raised somebody that had been dead for four days. This is a humongous miracle. Now, notice that Lazarus, although he had been in the tomb for four days, had not been embalmed, which was the Jewish custom to embalm, but for some reason, I don't know what the reason was, Lazarus was not embalmed. How do we know that? Because in John 11, verse 39, we read this. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. I think the King James has, he stinketh, if I remember correctly. But the point is, four days, decaying corpse, that's a big miracle to raise a man who is decaying, who hasn't been embalmed. Of course, I imagine it's kind of hard to raise somebody that's been embalmed. He'd be full of chemicals. I don't know how that would work. And by the way, this was not, in the strictest sense, a resurrection like Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was resurrected to a glorified body, never to die again. Lazarus, on the other hand, was resuscitated to a mortal body which was going to die again, waiting for resurrection at the end of time. So it's a little bit different type of resurrection. Big miracle nonetheless. John 11, verses 18 through 20. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. All right, John tells us that Bethany was two miles away. It was east of Jerusalem, right through the Kidron Valley, up in the Mount of Olives again, and probably on the other side of the Mount of Olives. This two miles away detail that John mentions was to show that it was easy for the friends to get to Bethany. Mary and Martha and Lazarus' friends coming there to comfort them, just like we do today when people die, people always go around to the house to visit. Now, verse 19 says it was many Jews that came. Jewish mourning customs would go along with that. NIV Study Bible points out that the first three days after a Jewish person died, there was very heavy mourning. The next four days, there was heavy mourning. And the next 23 days, for a total of 30, there was lighter mourning. So there was mourning, 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 people always around. Now, all of these people that were there was great for evidentiary purposes because all those Jews saw the resurrection of Lazarus. And because there were so many people coming, many people speculate that Mary and Martha and Bethany might have had a little bit of prominence there in Jerusalem. So it could be big shots, big shot Jews who saw this resurrection. But at any rate, whether they were big shots or not, there were lots of them, lots of witnesses for the miracle, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown point out. Now, Martha goes out to meet Jesus on his way in. Why did she go and why did Mary remain seated in the house? Well, it's perhaps because Martha was the elder, she was the hostess, she felt responsible. 
This is according to the NIV Study Bible, and everybody assumes Martha's the elder. I don't know how people know this. Adam Clark says, some suppose she was the elder, as the NIV Study Bible supposes. I guess they figured because the way she talked, and she seemed like she was in charge of Martha. And you know, Jesus, tell Martha, to, tell Mary to quit listening to you and come help me serve. It sounded like she was kind of bossy a little bit, kind of the one in charge. But at any rate, she went to see Jesus. Mary stayed in the house. Why was Mary seated in the house? She was probably sitting there mourning, crying, upset, and that's why she was there. Now, Mary could have gone out to meet Jesus because she was the hostess, but she could have also been going out to warn Jesus that he might be in danger, as John Gill points out. There were a lot of Jews in the house, and the Jews might have included some Jewish leaders who were not happy with Jesus and who would have killed him and turned him into the Sanhedrin given the opportunity it could be that Mary was sitting there not only in grief, but because she didn't get the word that Jesus was coming. Mary heard, but Mary, excuse me, Martha heard, but Mary did not. We drop down to verse 28 and read this in John 11. Having said this, she went back, that's Martha, went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you, which sounds like Mary didn't know that Jesus was there. And that's, that could be it, too. Jameson Fawcett and Brown said that Mary's character is placid. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe she was just grief-stricken. Maybe she didn't know. But for whatever reason, she didn't go out to meet Jesus, but Martha did. In verses 21 through 22, in John 11, we read this. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Well, there's the implicit rebuke. You know, if you'd have just come a little bit earlier, Jesus, we wouldn't have this problem of my brother dying. So it's a sort of an implicit rebuke, it sounds like. But then she lightens up a little bit. In verse 22, she says, But I, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So if you would like to raise Lazarus from the dead, go ahead. So it sounds like Martha is hinting to Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. This expression, this sentiment that Martha expressed that her brother wouldn't have died if Jesus had been there, Mary also said the same thing. Ten verses later in John 11:32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The NIV Study Bible, as well as Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, speculate that the sisters said this over and over to each other as they waited for Jesus. Oh, if he'd just get here, my brother wouldn't die. If he would just get here on time, my brother wouldn't die. Adam Clark points out that the sisters knew that Jesus could heal being present with the sick person. But healing at a distance was something they might not have believed in, despite the fact that, that Jesus had done that with the centurion and his servant. The centurion said, just say the word, Jesus, you can heal him, you don't have to be here. But, of course, the women in Bethany might not, Mary and Martha might not have known about that miracle. But at any rate, it looks like that they didn't have enough faith to believe Jesus would heal at a distance. They believed that it was necessary for him to, him to be present. And now that he wasn't present and Lazarus, Lazarus had died, it looks like Martha says, okay, well, now you can raise him. It does sound like that. The NIV Study Bible says it seems that Martha hoped for an immediate resurrection. As I said, that's what it sounds like. This, even though Lazarus's body had started to decay. So, in my opinion, this showed amazing faith. John Gill says the amaz her faith was mixed with weakness because she required Jesus to be present, that she, she couldn't believe he could work the miracle from afar. Well, maybe so, but she, well, what shows more, which trumps? Lack of faith because Jesus can't heal at a distance, or more faith because Jesus can resurrect a dead person? I think the latter wins. She had faith to believe that Jesus could resurrect. 
Now, she was modest and did not ask him directly. She hinted at it. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But I'm sure Jesus knew what, he was talk what she was talking about, as we see when we read verses 23 and 24. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, the reason Jesus immediately talked about rising again is because he discerned what Martha was asking him. Whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said, yeah, and your brother's going to rise again. Now, the next question is, is well, how did, how, what did Jesus mean here? Did he mean that rise again at the end of history or rise again today when I raised Lazarus from the dead? It's not really clear what he meant. But it is clear how Martha took him. In verse 24, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well, let's assume that Jesus meant that your brother will rise again after I raise him up today. And Martha misinterprets him. Well, Jesus goes along with the misinterpretation and just starts talking about the resurrection on the last day. A teaching moment, as we say. Now, it could be that Jesus was directly saying that Lazarus will rise again today as I raise him again. Or it could be he deliberately was speaking in a veiled fashion in order to get Martha to discuss resurrection. Again, trying to draw her into a discussion so that he could increase Martha's faith in the idea of resurrection to give Jesus a chance to expound on the topic. In other words, to create a teaching moment. Now, academically, almost every Jew, all Jews believe, not say not all, but almost all Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't, but all believers believed in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, excuse me, most Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so Martha just said, yeah, I, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day, but I, that's not what she was really concerned about. That was too far for her. She wanted him back now, I believe. So to summarize, whether Jesus meant or what he meant when he says your brother will rise again, however it was meant, Martha took it as referring to the last day, not today. And so Jesus then continued on with the discussion of resurrection of the last day before he then did the resurrection today of Lazarus, which again is a perfect object lesson to prefigure the final resurrection at the end of time. John 11, verse 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And when he says even if he dies, it means physically die. Even if he's physically die, he's going to live. He's going to spiritually live. He's going to live forever. And, of course, you're physically going to live, too, because you're going to get resurrected at the end of time. Jesus doesn't say that here, but that's taught in other scriptures, of course, as an example in John chapter 5. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. How do you live? By believing in Jesus. You spiritually live, and you're never going to die. And that means not only spiritually, but physically. Well, you're going to die physically, but ultimately you're not going to ever die because you're going to be resurrected. Do you believe this? There's another I am there, Yahweh. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's the phrase that he likes to use to tie himself with God who said I am in the Old Testament when he told Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. Here's some scriptures about Jesus being life. John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am life. Acts 3.15, you kill. This is Peter talking to the Jews. You kill the source of life. Jesus is the source of life whom God raised from the dead. Hebrews 7.16, talking about Jesus, who did not become a priest based on a legal command concerning physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Jesus' life was not destroyed. They killed his body for three days, and then he came back again, and he rose in indestructible life. 
Jesus' life. He raises from the dead. He raises people from their dead lives, from the circumstances of their life when people feel like their good is dead. He resurrects. I just read a story this morning about an actress, Jennifer O'Neill, who I'm convinced became a Christian after reading the story, married eight times. One of her husbands had abused her daughter. She had tried to commit suicide and almost died, was in a coma for a couple of weeks when she was a little kid, a teenager. Horrible life. Eight husbands. She got saved. And now she's doing just fine and her daughter's doing just fine. She's got given life. She ain't ever going to die. Now, Jesus asked them, do you believe this? Now, this is asking, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? That, 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 that I personally am the resurrection of the life? And if you believe in me, you're never going to die. That's, that's a big piece of meat to chew. That's a lot of faith to believe that. You know, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Excuse me. They believed, Mary and Martha believed he was a prophet. He was a teacher. 11.27. Yes, Lord. This is Martha speaking. She, Martha, told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And by saying that, I assume she meant that I also believe that the Messiah who comes into the world, the Son of God, will give life, everlasting life, and he is the resurrection and the life. I think that all goes together. I don't think she was trying to avoid the question. Now let's finish up this audio by pointing out that Martha was a woman of faith, as the NIV Study Bible said. She's remembered, of course, for her famous shortcoming of being too busy about worldly things rather than attending to the words of Jesus, Luke 10, verses 40 through 41. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. All right, so Martha was frazzled. She was worried. She was upset in that story. And that's what we remember. Isn't that the way things are? People remember us for not for our finest moments, but for when we screw up. But here in verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And she's going to get rewarded for her belief. She's going to get to see her brother risen from the dead, which will take place in the next audio, which I hope you listen to. And I'm finished with this audio. hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.